everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. I'm really excited this week because we have a new sponsor on the show, Zendium Toothpaste. I was so excited when I discovered it and I cannot wait to tell you about it. So Zendium Toothpaste is different because it actually strengthens your mouth's natural defences. So... In our mouths, our greatest defence system is actually the oral microbiome. You know, just like our gut microbiome, which is a delicate ecosystem of good and bad bacteria. So Zendium uses natural enzymes and proteins to boost the good bacteria in the mouth, which is why it's so different, working like a prebiotic, which protects your mouth naturally and reduces the bad bacteria responsible for dental problems. They have a kids and an adult range, both free from SLS, and Zendium are kindly offering 20% off for Motherkind listeners. So all you need to do is head to zendium.co.uk, that's zendium.co.uk, and pop Motherkind in at the checkout and you will get 20% off. So thank you so much to Zendium for the offer and for supporting me to create a weekly show like this one. This episode is also supported by Tony's. You might have seen the Tony boxes. They are the very cool audio player for kids. So it's a five inch soft cube that is basically indestructible, which we all know is very important. It's also totally screen free and cable free. What I love about my Tony box is that for Jessie's quiet time after dinner, instead of TV, she listens to a story just by popping a little Tony's figure that she chooses on top and the story starts. Then when I've put her to bed, I play her me singing to her, poor thing, that I've recorded into the box. It's amazing. And she has been dropping off so well listening to her Tony box. I think this is the perfect Christmas present. So head to the website, www.tonies.com. Have a look at them. The last orders for Christmas is on the 13th of December, but then you can order from Amazon and get it right up to the last minute if you're anything like me. So head to tonies.com, have a look and let me know what you think of it because I absolutely love mine. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky. This week's guests, the happy pair, really need no introduction and they say that living healthier, happier lives is all about making tiny different choices every day. Steve and David really need no introduction. I'm sure you will have seen the Happy Pair books or maybe you follow them on social media. It all started back in 2004 when they opened a vegetable shop in the small town in Ireland that they live in after having come back from traveling and turning vegan. 15 years later, they have incredible success. They've now got four cafes, 40 products, six online courses. I think over 50,000 people have done that online courses, which is incredible. They also have four best-selling cookbooks, even a farm, and they have helped millions of people live healthier, happier lives. 
I loved this conversation. I'm going to be honest with you here. Before we recorded, I was feeling quite low energy. It's mid-December. I'm a little bit overwhelmed with everything that's going on and everything that I've got to do before the end of the school term when we go into the holidays and I don't have childcare. So I was feeling low energy and I was feeling overwhelmed. And having spoken to Steve and David, they are the type of people who massively can shift your energy. And I really hope that you experience that too through this episode. They are the epitome of joy and positivity. And I also experienced them to be incredibly honest and humble So we talk about so many things, but the things that really stood out for me in this episode are around our ability to be present and our ability to find joy, however hard things are getting, and also the power of connection. Now, clearly they're identical twins. So we talked about the connection between the two of them, but also how connection is so important in our lives for health and happiness. In fact, at the end, they say that's probably the most important thing is how well we are deeply connected to those around us. So I hope you love the episode. I have a feeling that you will. Their new book, The Happy Health Plan, is out on the 10th of December. I've read it. It's fantastic. So please do check that out if you feel moved to. And as ever, if you would like to share this episode, that would make me very happy. And if you leave a review, that would make me even happier. Here it is. Welcome, the happy pair. You are indeed the happy pair, having just chatted you for a few moments. Actually, we're delighted. Thanks, Mel Zoe. Pleasure to be here. So I wanted to start off by asking you, you've got five children between you. You also have this incredible business, which is just absolutely flying. And we've been living in a global pandemic. So I wanted to ask you, how on earth have you been managing those three, I imagine, quite conflicting and challenging things in your lives? Demanding demanding aspects of life. Yeah, I think well said. I think it's a constant balancing act and it's something that I think you never reach perfection. Sometimes like, oh, I didn't do so good in this department. So it's a work in progress, but we've kind of various pillars that help support us even during those times when you're feeling overwhelmed that kind of help us, such as? Oh, well, I'm just going to say that, uh, yeah, we've got like my kids, I've got a, Elsie's 10, Izzy's 5, and Steve has a 10. Or no, Izzy's 7, sorry, actually, yeah, 10, 7. <laughs> I have 10, 7, and 4. So Ned is still pretty full on, and he kind of comes into our bed every night. We had to get a large bed just because the kids constantly come and join us. To some, it's crazy, and to some, it works, but it kind of works with us in its own way. But various things that we do that kind of help support us are kind of exercise is one thing. And I know, I know, like, as you said, a lot of people listening probably aren't getting enough sleep and they're probably not making the best food choices because it's just so demanding as a parent. And I guess the first thing is just to acknowledge, like, we are extraordinary demanded parents as well, and we struggle and we do not do the perfect. So we are going to tell you what is our ideal and what we strive towards day in, day out. And obviously to some people they go, ah, that's just a pain in the hole. Like, I'm never going to do that. But like there is certain things that really help us to be better parents and help us to have more energy. Because I think ultimately we all want to wake up. We want to have more energy. We want to feel better in our own skin. I want to feel like we've got enough to give to our kids. And I think that's so fundamental. And point number one, point number one, Steve. 
I feel like we're talking all the time. Are we okay? Will I keep going? Keep going. I want to hear your wisdom, not mine. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think point number one, we're living in a, obviously we're living amidst a global pandemic and we're living in a time when we're very disconnected from the natural world. We tend to be more connected digitally and virtually than ever before. We tend to have this wonderful lives, but we're very disconnected from the natural world that we're mammals. We need to move to get oxygen, our primary fuel source. Also connecting in nature will help reduce our cortisol levels. So what is point number one? That's just Point it. number one, spend time outside in whatever shape or form it is for you, whether it be out walking, whether it be gardening, whether it be just simply walking your kids to school, anything, just being outside. Well, one, you'll see more light, so it'll help kind of raise your oxytocin. You'll see fractals, which is a shape in nature that's been shown to reduce your cortisol level. What is cortisol? Cortisol is your stress hormone. Sorry, and oxytocin typically is associated with kind of more relaxation, etc. So point number one, spend more time outside. Point number two, I think, and this is like vitally important and everyone knows this, but we kind of need to be reminded every hour, I'd say on the hour, if not every half hour, it's to move. It really is because even just as parents, just to give a quick anecdotal reasoning behind this, those of us with young kids, typically between the age of three and eight, have a guess how many times a day. This question to you now, Zoe. How many times a day do you reckon a kid smiles, typically between the age of three and, say, ten per day? Oh, I think I've heard this before. It's high. It's like five to six hundred times, isn't it? How many times a day do you reckon bet down parents smile? No, how many times a day do you reckon tired parents that are working and juggling all the many balls to do with life. So how many times a day do you reckon they smile? It's low, it's low, isn't it? It's like 30 to 50. Yeah, 50 is meant to be like an optimistic parent that's like nailing it. (laughs) So my correlation there is really down to movements. Like if you look at young kids, like dinner used to in my house, my kids were younger, dinner took about five minutes in my house because my kids can't sit still. Whereas now they've got better because they've been in school longer. But the point I'm trying to make is that movement is so important. We're mammals and we forget that we're mammals because we have phones, we have jobs, we have houses, we have mortgages, we have cars, we have all these various things. But we're mammals and we need to move. Movement is so central to our well-being. Our hardware, our body is set up. It's just like a dog. If you don't walk a dog for a couple of days, it starts to look tired and depressed and lethargic. And we're the same, that we need to move. Have you heard of the blue zones, Zoe? No. Okay. Blue Zones, amazing study. So this was done by National Geographic, fronted up by Dan Butner, a scientist. And they wanted to find out where the five places in the world were the longest living, healthiest, happiest humans on the planet. So it's pretty much a longevity study in terms of well-being and what are the factors that lead to long, happy, healthy lives. And they found five places. There was Okinawa in Japan, Ikari in Greece. There was Sardinia in Italy. There was a place in Costa Rica in the Nicoya Peninsula and a place in California in Loma Linda. And they found in these five places, there was the most amount of centenarians, so people over the age of 100. And they went in there with a fleet of scientists going, what leads to these people's long, happy, healthy lives? Oh my God, are they eating? What superfood are they eating? Or are they doing yoga every day? Are they eating turmeric? What are they doing? They found out that these people don't have gyms. They don't have lycra. They don't have abs. They don't do yoga. Movement is part of their day. They're natural environments. They don't have cars. They cycle everywhere, walk. They grow a lot of their own veg. They have to move as they get older. They don't have dishwashers. They don't have a lot of convenience that we have nowadays, but their natural environment forces them to move. So the summary? Summary is just movement is really trying to get movement and trying to get at least 10,000 steps a day because that's a basic, really simple thing to measure it. I love how you call it movement, not exercise. Because isn't it interesting? We go, I don't have time to exercise. But like you say, particularly for parents, there's so many opportunities for 
movement. Like I don't have much time to do a class at the moment, but I walk to and from school every day. And that's like 50 minutes walking. Yeah. Um, I love that you call it that because I think it feels far more accessible to integrate to our busy lives as opposed to thinking I need to carve out an hour to do this class, whatever it is. Tell me about your wild water swimming. For many years, groups used to swim in the sea all winter. And we think, oh, they're the mad polar bears. They swim, oh, they're crazy. They're just a bunch of old lulas or whatever. Uh, And we kind of got in the habit back about seven years ago, just going down, seeing the sea at sunrise. And where we live, the sun rises over the sea and it's very beautiful and we'd often take photos and put them up on social media and people would really resonate because it was like new dawn new day hope nature etc etc me and david go down and we were down one september and we'd bring our talks and we'd swim some days we wouldn't be bothered other days and i was down one september and it was a manky day like rain was coming down it was the wind whipping in that it'd skin you but there was a lovely sunrise and i was lining up my photo at the cove and there was this lunatic in swimming I was kind of going, geez, look here, man, he's mad. And he, and he kind of got out and he stood there in a kind of tight pair of togs, big macho looking pose and went, you get in swimming, lads. And we went to all boys school. So we're a bit stupid in terms of macho. And we kind of banged our chest and said, yeah. So when we went for a swim and, you know, when I was in the water, I was going, geez, that was stupid. Why did I do that? But then I got out and it felt great. And we got chatting and he said his name was Neil. And as he was leaving, I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, see you tomorrow. So I met him the next day. And then the next day... At sunrise again. At sunrise. And the next day, Caroline, our friend, joined us. The day after, Hugo joined us. The day after, we brought tea. We didn't know how long we were going to do this for. The bit that we were enjoying most was just the sense of the crack, we call it in Ireland. Like, as in the fun, the sense of the joy, the laughter, facing this common enemy together and giggling and shaking and drinking your tea afterwards. The sea's a wonderful leveler in that you could be swimming with a barrister, a lawyer, a judge, or a bin cleaner. And they're all the same. No one cares because you're all facing the sea together and you're standing your talk shaking, going, oh, it's cold. Yeah. But I guess we've been doing it now for the last six or seven years, every day at sunrise. And there's been times when we've had a thousand people do with us. There's times when there's five of us. And amazingly through Corona, it's got more and more, like it's normalized in our little town where we live. Like on a Sunday morning, there could be 150 people on the beach in December, like just gone Sunday, like two days ago. All socially distant, but just that sense of people seeing it as a wonderful medicine to connect with nature, to kind of embrace the sense of seeing the seasons change and the sense of the collectivity, the fun, the crack, the laugh, the joy. You feel like a little five-year-old after going, woo And it's wonderful. You'd never do it by yourself because it's just like a penance. But when you're meeting other people, it just tends to be so much more fun because as Stephen said, there's such togetherness of getting in. Like, you know, it's not easy by yourself, but together you become more like you actually overcome this cold and you embrace it. And I think for anyone listening, there's two kind of things that could be applicable. Say you're living in Manchester and you're going, oh, that's well and good. You lads live by the sea. I think what it represents for us is that sense of collective that we become a product of our environment. And the more we can set up friends or other parents that when the kids are at school, they go for a walk together or something, that sense of connectivity, that sense of physical friendship. Like as humans, I was like that little coin, that cheesy phrase that you often say is like, bees need a hive, humans need a tribe. Yay! But, but I think it's true. And I think it's so <laughs> applicable to parents because you're so busy, like particularly with young kids. Even here in Greystones, we see so many mothers typically and fathers go down for a swim after they drop the kids to school because you know the way that morning where you're just please put on your clothes oh come on please why are, do your hair you know and there's all that, please get in the car or whatever and there's that kind of stress of getting the kids to school it's like oh my god that was traumatic 
And then they go down and they jump in the sea and it's like, right, I've got a fresh start. Now I can go do whatever the hell I need to go do for a few hours before it's kid parent time again. So in terms of applying it to anyone listening who doesn't live by the sea, I think it's the sense of building a social network around you that will support you to live the life you want to. If you want to get more into exercise, try to hang around with friends that are into exercise or movement. If you want to start eating better, make friends with people who eat well and it just becomes the norm. That sounds well and good, but how do you make friends with these people? There you go and you say hello. Have you have you two always have this ability to connect with people? Have you always been quite extroverted, or is this something that has developed as your careers developed? I think we all inherently have it. Well, most of us, like if you see, at least when I bring my kids down to the playground, they just run straight up to someone and start playing. What's your name? Cool, great. And they just start playing. And they don't even ask them. Mine mine doesn't. (laughs) Oh, well, mine totally do. And then when we're leaving, they're like, oh, can John come and play? And I go, who's John? He goes, my new best friend. And they just connect like that. Whereas adults is like, what do you do for a living? Oh, that's very good. You know, oh, this corona thing's awful. You know, there's there's layers of complexity to ourselves, but ultimately... It was like when you say kind of... Yeah, ultimately, I think underneath every single one of us, like no matter where we are in life, what we do, the most basic physiological need that we have is to be accepted, to be part of something and to feel loved. And I think it's to remember that underneath each of us is an insecure three-year-old that has various different strategies, whether it's being having a business, having a nice car, having nice hair. All these strategies are just to feel accepted, to feel loved and to be told, ah, you're a great lad. You know, you're more than enough. It's that general sense of feeling a part of something. And we all have this. And I guess it's just, now we've gone way off topic here. But bringing that back to kind of meeting people, I think it's to remember that whoever you're meeting is also an insecure human like yourself and that is concerned. And it's just often we'll talk about something neutral like the weather or we'll talk about something like that. And the more you can kind of get beyond that awkwardness and accept it, that there's going to be a bit of awkwardness and then you connect. Because we're living in an age where, at least in the UK in 2018, there was a minister for loneliness appointed in the government. And it's kind of quoted that about 15% of the population struggle with loneliness, that it is becoming a bit of an epidemic. And it's something that we all consciously, I think, need to be more aware of, that we have this physical need to belong, to have friends, to chat, to laugh, to and share I think problems. It all starts with saying hello to people. Like it really does, you know, like actually your neighbours, literally every relationship starts somewhere. Hello. And it's like saying hello, like it's as simple as that, hi. And then after a few weeks, you might get to know their name and you've got to be conscious and go, what's your name? I'd like to be able to say hello to you. And then as you're walking by over the weeks, hi, John, hi, Mary. And then if someone goes, who's Mary? And you go, I know her name. I don't really know her. And then relationships just happen and friendships just happen. Yeah, you're so right. And there was a study a few years ago called Loose Connections, I think they called it. And it showed how actually those people that we're able to wave to on the street or say hi to at the supermarket that we kind of loosely know, those are super important for our sense of connectivity and well-being. And I think it's so challenging this year, isn't it? Having had that all taken away from us. How have you maintain that sense of connectivity because I imagine for you guys is there this tension between so much of what you do is digital so much of what you do is on zoom on your phone on your laptop how have you managed to keep that more human connection through this time and more generally our lives are overflowing with humans we're very rich in human relationships we still live in the little town that we grew up in and we've grown up here our whole lives and we started a vegetable shop here like 16 years ago So I think you asked the question there a minute ago, have we always been extroverted or is this something that's cultivated? Once you open a shop, you like, you're just of service to people day in, day out. So you have to be, whether you feel good or you feel crap, 
you've got to be nice to people and you have to get to know people because it's part of business. So I think for 16 years, we flexed this muscle of having to be nice to people, get to know people's names. It's a skill that we've had to develop. And I think for everyone, it's a skill that you can develop. And as my kids get older, I'm going to really encourage them to get a job in a shop or work in our shop. Like human relationships, no matter what job you do, are so important to be able to say, hi, what's your name? You oh, know, you look like you're sad today. What's wrong? What are you going to sit with things like, know, like that? Just the, the basic small talk. I think it's so important because we, we've seen. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm naturally quite introverted and quite shy, but I worked in shops from when I was 14. And it really taught me how to override that feeling to do exactly as you're describing, like welcome people, serve them in the shop. It really helped me. Yeah. Sure. And even in recent years, we've been in business now 16 years. We have a number of cafes, but over recent years, we've seen the generation that's grown up teenagers with mobile phones. And as a result, many of them have lost the ability to small talk. Like they do not know how to do it. There's no like, oh, hi, how are you? What's your name? It's a lovely day out there. Oh, I love your top. It's just missing. Yes. And, and it's quite frightening. We actually see it firsthand through a generation. Like it's quite. How are you going to handle that with your kids if they started asking for smartphones yet? Oh, of course they have. Yeah. It's like, nope. <laughs> have you set an age that you might let them have one? You no, know, it's kind of one we want to discuss. If a good friend, a neighbor, he teaches in one of the local schools and he did research secondary school. secondary school. He did research. He was kind of fed up seeing this research and coming out of America saying that, oh, mobile phone usage is really affecting mental health. So he thought, I'm going to do it on our local school with local people and see what happens. And they got a few people involved and he found out that if students used their mobile phone five hours or less, they were 75% less likely to self-harm or to struggle with anxiety and mental health issues. Five hours. And his final deduction or comment was like, the age that you feel comfortable that your child looks at pornography on their own, that's the age you should give them a phone. When he told me that, it was like, you're not getting a phone man until you're, I don't know, but, but I wanted to have a proper discussion about it, but I'm not giving it to you just mindlessly when you're 12, you know, that way, because your friends have it. What a powerful study. My well, gosh. Frightening. When he talks about it, and like, he's kind of like the chaplain in the school. So kids will come and share their problems and anxiety and their fears with them. And some of the stories he hears, he wouldn't give me any names, but he'd say like some kids be on their phone eight hours a day and they're just deficient in sleep. And as a result, their whole relationships kind of unravel and they become very apathetic. But to go back to your question, like at my daughter turned 10 there just last month and she wanted something that she could listen to music on and she wanted something with a screen. She didn't want an MP3 thing. So we bought her an iPod, but I had to lock down everything on it. And I was really surprised and kind of slightly disappointed on Apple that I couldn't turn off message all I wanted was Spotify and that that's the only thing she can do on it is listen to music. And I was quite disappointed that I couldn't turn off messages. There was a few of them that I still had to leave there. Like I found workarounds where they could be on it for one minute. She could be on it for one minute a day, but like she knows all she can do is Spotify on it. You know, I can track it and keep an eye on it that she can't touch anything else. But it's hard and I, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit frightened about it. I really am frightened. I'm frightened about it. Jesse's only five and I'm frightened about it because I think it's so hard when your kid is the kid that doesn't have it and everyone else does, right? But I think that's being a conscious parent or a parent who parents from values is hard. It is hard because you're, you're going to do things differently than other people. So we talked about movement. We've talked about connection. Tell me okay. the other pillars. Okay, huge one. And I think it's the most basic thing which every parent says to their kid. And they mightn't necessarily apply it to their own life is eat more veg. 
It really is. It's that simple because nowadays, 55% of all calories in the UK, of all food, of all food eaten are ultra processed food. That's in the UK and Ireland. There's a research out of that. So that's more than half of all the food we eat is, you know, in the classification in common terms is junk food. It's not about being a vegetarian or a vegan or in anything because we all just want to feel good. We want to have more energy and there is no perfect. But every bit of research will say that the more fruit and veg, whole grains, beans, lentils you can eat, the better your body's going to function and the more energy you're going to have. And even when you looked, I talked about the blue zones earlier, 50% of their calories come from beans. Even in our own research back about almost nine years ago, we decided let's put it to the test. We kind of changed our diet and lifestyle massively. And we kind of set up our business with this kind of almost like Walt Disney type, like we want to create a happier, healthier world, Dave. Let's do it. Yeah. Back a number of years ago, a lady came into the shop, Mary Cal, and she said, geez, I lost two stone and white watches. And we were like, wow, well done, Mary. And it kind of dawned on me, we were doing kind of healthy eating classes upstairs and, you know, people would have a good laugh, but we noticed they weren't really changing. Like we'd walk past them and they'd be outside the chip shop afterwards, eating a bag of chips, looking guilty as we walked by. So I was like, Dave, let's put it to the test. I was reading a book by this doctor, uh, Dean Ornish, who had shown that you could reverse heart disease by changing people's diet and getting them to eat like a diet of fruit and veg and beans. And we thought, geez, well, I wonder if this will work in Greystones with Irish people. That was the whole idea. So we walked into the local doctors. We knocked on his door. How are you, Brian? Where are the, the lads now? Uh, do you know any nurses? And he said, geez, Angela's next door. You're just look. So we knock on Angela's door. How are you, Angela? Uh, where are the lads now? Uh, we want to reverse heart disease. We're wondering, would you help us? And she said, geez, lads, what an opportunity. And uh, no, she didn't. She said, uh, how much are you going to pay me? And we said, 50 euros. She said, okay, deal. And we put up signs around the shop and we said, reverse heart disease, skinny, sexy, delicious, and free. And we had 20 people sign up. These 20 people came along and these were just absolute average normal people. They were probably bored. They probably wanted to were curious. They, what, what are those crazy? They were the meat and two veg doing. people. They were not health enthusiasts in any sense. And they came along and Angela measured everyone's cholesterol, weight and blood pressure. So we had starting measurements. And they came upstairs to us and we put them on a plant-based diet. So, so we put them for porridge for breakfast and vegetable soups and salads and chilies and dals and pad thais. And it was really a cooking course because most people ate chicken and broccoli and peas. It was just getting them to eat chickpea curries instead of chicken curry and getting them to eat instead of like chicken soup, but was a sweet potato and coconut soup. And it was just changing habits for four weeks. And it was really holding their hand with it. And after the four weeks, Angela came back and measured everyone's cholesterol, weight and blood pressure. And, and we really didn't know if it was going to work. You know, when you're really nervous, like if this doesn't work, like we're going to have to like change our whole identity and all this. Yeah, but uh, thankfully there was an average drop of cholesterol at 20% across the 20 people. Everyone lost weight, blood pressure regulated. It was like a Walt Disney finish. So uh, subsequently so, there was, we got a lot of medium attention and it kind of got too busy. So we built an online course. And I guess to date we've about 50,000 people through the courses and we've seen just the direct impact with people changing their diet and eating more fruit and veg, how, and it, how it can benefit so many different aspects and, of their health. And the first... Can I just say one more thing? Sorry, we're ranting. We really so, are ranting. I know, sorry, it's, but... it's like monologues. But, <laughs> sorry, uh, <laughs> but I was just going to say that uh, like the first one we did was a happy heart one. So it was all to show about heart health. But subsequently, we've done ones for gut health and skin and shape. And we partner with doctors and dietitians now just to show that how valuable, like that they're based in medicine and science. But it all comes back to the same message of eating more fruit and veg. And like, as Stephen said, we've had more than 50,000 people through them across the world. 
every single day you get messages saying, oh my God, I can't believe how much energy I have or how much better I feel. And even getting 10,000 steps, geez, I thought I moved loads. But when I started measuring it, I realized I only get 5,000, you know, just there's so many little anecdotal things that it's... It's phenomenal. I mean, you probably hear this all the time, but I mean, it is phenomenal, the impact. It must feel almost surreal at times, I imagine, the amount of people that you've impacted. (laughs) You picked up on it is just energy. Because I think, I know sleep is in your book, The Happy Health Plan, as, as one of the things to think about. But for so many parents, it's just not an option to get those eight, nine uninterrupted hours. So I think turning to diet, and I wanted to talk to, there's this kind of vicious circle that I experience where I'm tired So I can't be bothered to cook from scratch always something plant-based. So then I grab a sugary snack or something processed because it's quick and easy. But then, of course, that crashes my energy and I feel more tired. And it's kind of this loop. Do you see that? How do you help people step outside of that tired, convenient loop? Yeah, I think it's something that we all struggle with. And uh, to be human is... Do you struggle with it? Yeah, absolutely. You you know, you're feeling tired. You're feeling like, oh, just want something. And you're craving chocolate. But in my experience, like our primary fuel source is oxygen. And we get that from movement. And then only our secondary fuel source is water. And only our third one is food. So the more when we're tired, we can do some form, whether it even be as ridiculous as this sounds, do five jumping jacks. Just five jumping jacks. Suddenly you go, actually, maybe I'll have a glass of water. And then you have a glass of water. And then suddenly you go, actually, I think I'll have a banana and almond butter instead of that dairy milk that I was going to have, you know, and I think it's just little habits like that, that we can change consciously or deliberately. And I I think as you rightly said it, it, you can have a negative spiral or you can have a positive spiral. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, It can start to affect us negatively and therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge so get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p dot com slash motherkind or it's almost like a domino effect you can have a positive domino effect in your life or a negative one and i think it's all about making little steps in the right direction and i think Stephen, when he said movement i think is probably the easiest place to start if you're not someone that moves regularly Get in the habit of, if you drop the kids at school, that you go for a half an hour walk with a friend. And at least after that, your mind will be different. There'll be so much more positive endorphins released in your brain. You'll feel better in your body. You are much more likely to meet more people. You'll have more connections. You'll have that need fit. And on the back of that, you might make better food choices and be a better parent. And all the research shows that if you move more, you're more likely to sleep better in the evening. And I know if someone's coming in, it makes it harder, but the quality of your sleep might be better. And can I say two other things on our little monologue? On the topic of sleep, typically, you know, and I struggle with sleep because I have young children too, but if you get five or six hours sleep on average a night, you're likely to consume about 300 calories more on average. And of those calories, typically they're the wrong ones. Because if you imagine you're sleep deprived and you come in for breakfast and you have the option between a croissant and a coffee, or you have an option between porridge, 
anyone who's Tires tired and, and is grass. feeling deficient in energy is going to pick a food that has the calories are more readily available and that is lower fiber, higher sugar, you're just naturally going to crave them. So yeah, that's wiring, isn't it? That's not anyone's fault. That's actually yeah, that's, that's the hardware. Wired. That's the hardware that we all have. However, we're in charge of the software. So I think it's about trying to be aware that when you're tired, you're going to crave the wrong foods and that's normal and that's okay. But it's just to try to be a little bit considered about it and exercise a good fuel. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said that's not our problem, it's environmental. And it really is like nowadays, if you look at the environment, like our food culture nowadays is if you go into the supermarket, there's more than 90% of the foods there that are not really for your best health. There's less than 10% are your fruits and vegetables, your beans, your whole grains, your nuts and seeds. Obviously, there's lots of other food categories, but I'm putting those in the absolute kind of elite ones that we all need to eat more of. So the food environment doesn't support us. Our lives have become so much busier. I think via social media and all these various things, we have all these pressures of, you know, we want more things and we need more crap. But realistically, we just want to have a better relationship with ourselves. We want to feel healthy. We want to feel happier and we have more energy. And it's the basic, simple things of eating more fruit and veg, moving more trying to get your sleep. It's the same things that if I ask my daughter else, what would I do to be healthier? Or if you ask any kind of kid over the age of five, they'd probably be able to say, eat more fruit and veg, move more, get your sleep, drink your water. And they might even say meditate because that's kind of part of the culture nowadays. Yeah, my little girl would say meditate. I wanted to ask you about something that I fall into is I'm really good through the day typically. And then I would have had a hard bedtime with my five-year-old because she just doesn't really go down very well. So I'll come downstairs. It'll be about half eight, nine o'clock. I'm exhausted. And my husband will have a little bit of chocolate because that's his routine. And he'll say, do you want one? And every night I'm like, I'm going to say no. And typically I'll go, yeah. And I think what's so interesting about this is that growing up, my mum would sometimes use sugar as a treat So, you know, you'd do well at school and you might get a chocolate bar or you'd go to the doctor. And I think that it's that kind of cognitive link between sugar and a treat. And also I don't drink, so I can't have that glass of wine. Not that I'd want it anyway now, but I'm wondering, do you experience that when you want to reward yourselves in some way for a hard day or celebrate? How do you do that outside of sugary foods? And do you ever find yourselves falling into that trap with your own children? How do you reward them outside of sugary foods? Because I know this is a big thing for parents. I see it all the time and in my own life. What I do in the evenings, like I'm the same. I get my kids down and I'm exhausted and I'm broken and I'm a shell of a human. (laughs) More often than not, I'll just get straight into bed because I go to bed around nine o'clock. Like I'm like a feckin' farmer. I get up at five o'clock and that's my routine. But what I will do is I'm broken. I'll come down and I'll pour myself a foot bath. I boil the kettle. I put some hot water in it. I put some sauce and I put some oil in it. And I sit there and I put my feet in it. Like I get in there like a broken human. It just transforms me. And by the time 15 minutes later, I'm like, geez, I, I wish I didn't snap at Elsie or whatever. You know, I feel like I've got something to give to the world. And then I go to sleep feeling good, you know. I did not think you were going to say foot bath. I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that like really, I'm big into foot baths. I love baths. My one on the topic of chocolate. So I've been making bean to bar chocolate for years and I've been buying a lot of the world's best chocolate to taste, like bean to bar, just to taste. And yeah. a few things that I've kind of found that work in terms of chocolate and the appreciation. And even with my kids, when we go to bed every night, my wife is quite religious and we'll say a prayer in Polish and we'll always say five things that we're grateful for. And normally the kids, the first thing they will always say is something sweet. 
always because naturally it's the biggest dopamine release in their day like it's literally nothing can compete with it and that's why it's again it's down to our hardwiring because if you think about it the number one determinant of how much pleasure you get from food is the more calories so i could eat a bowl of spinach with 100 calories per pound or i could eat a bar of chocolate with two and a half thousand calories per pound so there's a lot more energy embedded in it so it's going to give a much greater oh i love chocolate of course <laughs> but, but simple things you can do and with your husband to discuss is like see if you'll buy a higher percentage cacao so like if you think milk chocolate is typically around 25 to 30 percent cocoa solids which means the combination of cacao butter and cacao powder the other 70 percent is sugar and milk powder versus if you go up to 70 70% would be, so being a 30% sugar. So the more you can move up the spectrum, you're more moving into bitter sweet. So it's more bitter and it's more the healthier part and less of the sugary part. And another thing that I've found is if you can buy finer chocolate and the luxury is like four or three pounds more than normally. It's not like buying a, a car, a luxury car costs a hundred grand more. It's more like spend an extra four pounds and you get like a really premium chocolate that when you taste it, it has the subtlety of it like wine. Because people tend to forget like coffee, coffee, I think red wine has about 400 flavor profiles, but coffee is about 1200 and chocolate's in around the same category as coffee, where it has kind of many subtle flavor aromatic compounds that when you taste, it's like, wow, that chocolate actually tastes a licorice because it came from Dominican Republic and it was roasted this way and it was dried in this thing. And the more I found, it's kind of like meditation around chocolate. Mm. Like when you buy like this one was a silver in the Chocolate Academy in 2019. I cannot wait to try it. And because you've spent 10 quid on a bar, like you savor each square. And it's like some of them will actually have a flavor wheel there. And you go, mm, yeah, I think it tastes fruity, mm, a little bit blackcurrant. Yeah. And then you read the back of the pack and it says it tastes like honey. And you're like, oh, I was way off. But it makes you consume it mindfully as opposed to this kind of, oh, Jesus. I feel like crap. I just want anything to make me feel good. Yeah, well, that's that emotional numbing, isn't it? Which is yeah. the opposite of what you're talking about. I'm the same with tea, actually. I'm really into tea and I will almost like wine tasting. I'll know if it's first flush or second flush or, I mean, I'm really? so into it. Yeah, I'm so into it because it's that mindful moment like you're describing. You both meditate every morning, is that right? Yeah, do our best to like the vast majority of the time. Tell me about that because we talk a lot on this podcast about meditation because it was transformative for me. I was just going to say that uh, back when we were in our 20s, we grew up playing rugby and beer and pints and completing other jocks or whatever. And then when we were 21, we ended up going away traveling and we left as these two meathead jocks that were playing semi-pro rugby. We did male modeling. We were off nearly scratching golf like we were overachievers. And then we went away traveling separately for a couple of years and we came back that we were vegan now. We didn't drink alcohol. We were into yoga and we were now starting a vegetable shop. So obviously we'd had this massive change. And during that time, we ended up spending months in these meditation centers, these Vipassana meditation centers, these 10-day retreats. Yeah. Back when we were 21 or 22, we started doing this for like a good five years. We used to meditate for an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. Like So that's kind of been our base in meditation. And then for a good few years, we got out of the habit when we had we young forgot kids. It. When you have kids, you know yourself. It's it like, just goes to the wayside. Once you had young kids, it was like, it's not a priority anymore. But in the last kind of number of years, we've got back into it. And we've had that kind of base that we've had years of had a, a pretty solid practice that it was easy to get back into. It. Now, we certainly don't do an hour a day. It's about 10 minutes in the morning or 15 minutes. And sometimes when I have my feet in the foot bath, I close my eyes as well. I really do find it makes me a nicer person to myself, first and foremost. And can I just say something on the topic of meditation? Like meditation works for us, but I think 
ultimately what meditation is, it's the practice of bringing ourselves back to the present moment. And the topic of meditation, at least for my wife, she hates, she goes, it's so cliched. Like she's a clinical psychologist and she'd be very much like, listen, yoga, meditation, you can keep that stuff. But for her, it might be going to mass. For other person, it might be gardening. For other people, it might be literally sitting, savoring a glass of wine. I think any practice that brings you back to the present moment is so beneficial for relaxing, for de-stressing, and just for reminding it's the simple things in life, like being able to sit and savor a moment. Uh, yeah, like I've got two cats and they're my gurus. They're my Zen masters because they can literally sit there all day just looking out the window, happy as Larry. I want to be like a cat when I'm a grown-up. When, grown when I'm a grown-up, that I can literally just be so easy in my own company that I can just watch these emotions coming and going I was just thinking how children are so amazing, aren't they, as well, at teaching us to be present. You know, you described that massive transformation in your lives at 21 going traveling. What have been some other transformational moments? How's parenting intersected with who you're becoming and changed as people? Parenting so knocks us off your edges. Being idealist, you put your ideals ahead of everything or we have. And I think having children, they kind of make you a little bit more gentle and a little bit more humble with your ideology. And they kind of make it a lot more practical. Like certain things, say, for example, we've been eating a vegan diet for almost 20 years. And for a number of years, we were very fundamental and we'd be quite judgmental. And I think having kids and say you're away on holidays and you're in Italy and they're having pistachio ice cream. And I'd go, the fact that I'm going to have a pistachio ice cream with, and this is not a vegan one, and sit there and eat and go, what a wonderful moment. And fair enough, I might may have broken my vegan ideology for that moment, but what a moment it was. And I think the kids are my greatest teacher of just, you know, enjoy life and stop taking it too serious and being too precious about myself. Are your kids vegan, plant-based? Like my wife would eat a vegan diet. However, she'd eat fish once a month just to go, I don't want you to call me a vegan. I don't want to be put in a box. When they're at home, we eat a vegan diet at home. And when they're out, they're kids. They do what they want. They get stuck in. So, you know, I, I think... For me, at least with my kids, it's really important that they have a healthy attitude towards food. And yeah, if they believe that vegan is healthy, great. If they don't, that's great too. I just want them to know that the majority of the food that they can eat are whole foods. I think that's the best message for them. Mine are the same. I'm really curious. I often like to ask people about how their childhoods might be different to how they're raising their children. Do you think that your children's experience of life and your values, how different is that to your experiences or anything you're transforming there? Oh yeah, I struggle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like say, we grew up in more like our mom and dad, they're brilliant. We were such a fortunate childhood and it was more the kind of sense of like, okay, that's enough. Be quiet. Off you go. Stop discussing this and kind of get on with it. This type of underlying, which many people were raised in that time. Whereas mm -hmm. then my wife is a clinical psychologist and she'd be very much about now what emotion you're feeling and <laughs> yes. like, keep whining to me. Like, that's cool. I'm more than happy with it. Whereas when Ned or Theo, my little boy, start whining, my ears just go, oh, I can't hear it. You know, I just, because I wasn't allowed to whinge or moan. So I really struggle with that. But I guess through my wife kind of helping me learn more about it, the importance of helping my kids to be more emotionally aware that they can name their emotions. Because when I first met my wife, she'd go, so what emotions do you feel? And I go, oh, I'm lucky. I only have the good ones. Like, experience happiness, I experienced tiredness. I experienced hunger. Yeah, hunger is an emotion, is it? And horniness. And that was like, <laughs> I was just so emotionally uneducated just because I went to an all-boys school. I played rugby. It wasn't discussed and it wasn't part of my education. Whereas what my wife, which she's brilliant at, is really helping our kids to be a lot more, I feel a little lonely. I feel a little confused. Things like this where I'm like, 
geez, I don't, I don't know what the hell that feels like. Good on you. You know, this type of thing. Are you better now at feeling that relationship with yourself? Yeah, I have to kind of take a pause and kind of go, what am I feeling? And when people kind of ask me how I'm feeling, I might actually pause for a short second and go, actually, I feel a little overwhelmed. It's amazing when I acknowledge something that might be more real or more visceral, the person that just commented they were great, they go, actually, me too, I feel a bit crap. And suddenly there's a much more honest connection as opposed to, I'm great, you're great, great, bye. There's a lot more of a real honest connection, which I think is... Like nowadays, we're living in this ultra positive society. We're living our best lives and we're putting the best out there. We're trying to. And I think it's more important than ever to actually be honest to what we're really feeling. And the more we trust someone else with our intimacy, like what we're actually feeling, the more it gives an opportunity for them to share theirs and to have a real human connection. You said that word, that's true connection, isn't it? You know, we talked about it earlier. I think there's one thing being in a collective. I think that's a different type of connection than when you're able to be really seen by someone. I think that's really different. I'm so in awe of your ability to create, doing research. And, you know, I knew you guys anyway, but I've gone deep into the world of Happy Pair to prepare for this interview. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, I'm wondering, how do you hold this level? Because it's different having a personal brand business to running a business. I think it's really different when you're MD of like a, you know, a brand or something, when it's you. How do you manage that intensity what tools are you using i think a huge one is being identical twins you know the way people are often looking for their other half and when they get married there's someone that's there they have a like a partner they have someone in their life which is there as a rock and supposedly there to support them but when you're born an identical twin we're very fortunate that we've always had this other person that even if i'm really mean to him he'll still be there standing beside me going right who are we going after what are we doing dave You know, so I think that's a really nice thing to have, which is not applicable to most people listening. That's just the reality of how we've grown up. The more you can find someone that can support you like that, the easier it is to persist. And that's what we'd often say for anyone starting a business. The more you can get someone that's there for you and believes in the same belief and also brings a slightly different skill. Because one of the greatest challenges of being identical twins is we both have the same weaknesses and we tend to have blind spots that we just go, oh, it's a great idea, let's keep going. And before we know it, we're halfway down the wrong road going, oh, we should have turned back. Oh, we should have just asked them. And that's where I'd often say to anyone starting a business, if you're really creative and highly motivated and highly active, try to get someone that's actually kind of different, that's maybe more skeptical, more analytical, more good with numbers, is very good at figures and legal systems because it's a nice balancing act that you're going to see things slightly different. But back to your your point about what supports us, I think it's back to exactly what we talked about. Like we swim in the sea at morning, which is like, that is our medicine. And that is the ultimate meditation in a sense because you get in there quite regularly like, I am mad. What the hell am I doing this for? That's walking down to the sea. And then you come in and you go, oh my God, what a beautiful day. And it could be pouring rain. Like the present moment just smacks you in the face and you're a five-year-old again going, wow. So I think swimming in the sea is one like movement. Like we do move a lot. Like, and often Steve might see me and he go, geez, you're stressed in your head. Come on, we're going for a run. That meeting doesn't matter. Let's just cancel it. And we go for a run or we'll do something or other because we know like even when we feel most overwhelmed that's when we need and then ultimately part of the reason why we started our business was to create a social network that would support us to live the life we wanted to live so when we came back traveling we changed our lifestyle so much so ultimately at the most selfish level we started the happy pair because we wanted to create a community that believed in eating plant-based that wanted to exercise and wanted to kind of 
have a laugh around life together, make it a bit of a celebration. So ultimately, I think for anyone listening, the more you can create a social network around you that supports you to live a happy, more fulfilled life, the easier it is to sustain. And that's not a social network like Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> that's like physical humans in your life that you can call to their house. Or- like follow me, like actually call to the door. Come on, we're going for a swim. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> I think what's so inspiring about you two and, and is that example of prioritizing a run over a meeting, because, you know, I speak to so many people through the joy of this podcast. But what I notice sometimes is there's sometimes a gap between what someone's talking about and what someone's living. And I think the reason that people connect with your message and you is that you really do live it. And what I also love is that when you don't live it, you're really honest about it. I think there's so much power in that because it's easy for people to put people on a pedestal, isn't it? And so I could never be like them. And actually when you're able to say, I'm knackered by 9 p.m. and I eat ice cream and it's beautiful in the moment and I struggle with feeling my feelings sometimes, I think it's just so powerful because it reminds me and reminds everyone listening that actually we all struggle. But I love when you said we're in charge of the software, not the hardware. I think that's going to be a real takeaway for me because it's always about those different choices. And I think what the Happy Pair does so brilliantly is gives people those really accessible choices. It's trying to make it simple and know that like nothing is perfect. It never will be. And we all just want to feel good and have a good time while we're here. Any other pillars? We talked about movement, we talked about connection, we talked about plant-based. Sleep is the one that's the most difficult to talk about with young parents because it's like, it's such a challenge and we've been there and I'm out the other side in an extent, but maybe I'll get back into there again if we have another kid. It's such a priority. Like I think it's the foundation of health in so many different ways. They say most of us are six days away from going psychotic. If you get six days without sleep, you're going to go psychotic. And that's but really for all Maybe rather than talking about sleep, the one that we're less in control of being parents, maybe I think the most fundamental one to anyone listening, in the blue zones where we spoke of, they boiled it down to, there was nine lifestyle factors that dictated why these people lived typically over the age of 100. And when they boiled those all nine down to one, the single most important point, we'd often ask this at talks and we'd, people would go, oh, it's a positive mindset. Oh, it's, oh, it's goals. It's, it's sex. You'd see someone and everyone giggles. But ultimately, the most important thing is community. It's friendship. It's actual belonging to a tribe. Loneliness isn't the absence of people around you. Loneliness is the absence of belonging. I was listening to a good talk by this guy, Johan Harry, and he spoke about this girl in Turkey. I think she was Turkish originally. And she said her home was her village because it wasn't the four walls that she lived in. It was because of the village she belonged. And when she was missing, they missed her. And I think that's the thing that humans, we really, I think we need to focus on more if we're going to have more life satisfaction. It's such a powerful message. There's an amazing TED talk, which I'm sure you're really familiar with around the Harvard study, which is this incredible longitudinal study that went over four decades and it showed exactly that. The number one predeterminant of happiness is the quality of our relationships, the quality of our connection. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. That sounds cool. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with my audience? The book is incredible. I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about that a bit more at the end. But is there anything else that you think I wish would have said that before I ask you the final question? Just kind of anecdotally, many people kind of get caught up with 
I've fallen for this myself. You know, you get caught up looking for the perfect thing. Like this year, the superfood, it's turmeric. No, no, no. It's functional mushrooms. Oh, no, no. Last year it was kale. Oh, no, no. It's mindfulness. It's coconut no, oil. It's gratitude journals. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely that. No, no, no. It's swimming in the sea. Those lads said swimming in the sea. However, I think every person listening has met someone the age of 90 who didn't swim in the sea. They didn't eat vegetables. They didn't have a gratitude journal. They didn't even know what yoga meant. They like drinking a bottle of whiskey every day. They like gambling, you know. But they had a lot of love in their life. They weren't stressed and there was a great sense of purpose. So I think health isn't just one thing. Health is multifaceted and it's ultimately it's about feeling good. And like if you're kind of saying you should have a kale salad, if the kale salad you're going to eat through gritted teeth going, I hate kale, don't have the pizza and enjoy it because laughter, joy, gratitude are more healthy than the kale would ever. And they're much more sustainable. Like feeling good is sustainable. That's what we're all looking for more of that. So it's somehow we went back to community and we kind of talked about this. It's somehow in your life, creating an environment that the easy choice is the healthy choice. I think in our little life, the easy choice is the healthy choice. Like it's easy for us. The easiest food to get is from the cafe. So we'll go there and get food. And like, when I feel like crap, it's nearly baked into my hardware that like I feel crap and like part of me might want a nap or it might want a chocolate bar. But I know if I just pick myself up and go, Steve, you're coming for a run and we go for a run. I'll come back. Oh, geez, I feel great. I feel, oh my God. Now I, I'm going to be a much better parent now. I'm not going to be cranky and angry with my kids, you know, and less cranky. I'm going to be much, you know, because it's constantly about having these little things that pick you up because we all fall over so easy. It's such a powerful message, which I'm hearing is really just to keep connecting for that joy, finding the joy, finding the joy. And I always ask the same question at the end of every episode, and I'm going to ask you each, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Wonderful sleep. <laughs> That's not fair. Honestly, okay, no, beyond, but sleep, okay beyond sleep, beyond, you can't say that because they can't have it. What's the gift? Uh, what's the gift? Like, I think it's all down to like self-love. Like, I'd give them a real nice weekend away by themselves where they can just sleep and take it easy. And on the back of that, they're probably going to be reflecting they'll be a much nicer person because they'll be more in love with themselves. Uh, so like, it'd be something like that. Which it, can be, it can be anything. It could be sleep. It doesn't matter. It can be anything. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Like, and one thing that I regularly will say to myself, and maybe this isn't a gift at all, but it's something that I try to remember that, you know, these small short years where your kids are just so innocent and pure, they pass and they go really, really quickly. And like, even Ned now is four. And part of me, like I'll see his little shoes when he was two and I go, oh. And I understand like how hard it is to be a parent, but we can remember that we're all going to die one day. Our kids are going to get older. Life is a continuation. And the more we can take that ability to appreciate those little things, like the struggle, the challenge, the hardship, the more we remember it will all pass. And there'll be one day you'll be sitting there with an empty house going, oh my God, I miss my little kids that wanted to hug me and hold me and needed me. And all I wanted to do was look at my phone to look at some person on Instagram that really didn't matter. And I think it's that reminder that life is constantly passing us by and that if we don't grab it, it will go. Poor else, Steve. Poor yeah, else. He's getting emotional. Sorry. Yeah. But I think, do, do, you remember, do you remember that? I, I remember watching that movie. I think it's called like Only Time or something where the guy got to Oh, really I love that. Where, where I he, love that. It's lovely. But the message of like, life is full of struggles every single day. There's so many challenges that are going to press your buttons. And like in the movie, he was able to go back and relive yeah. the day, knowing that the stresses were going to come. And it's a bit like if you could somehow live retrospectively, you'd know that life is going to press your buttons every single day. You are going to get sleep again. Your life will come back and you'll, 
it's to, as Stephen said, if you can somehow really savor and be present amongst the chaos and the turmoil, I think that's probably the lesson life is trying to teach us. Yeah, and that's something I'm working on every single day. Yeah. But the more I remember the sense that, you know, Ned isn't going to be screaming like this all the time. And he's just the most perfect little, like, and he wants me and he wants to cuddle me. And like when he's 12, he's going to be kind of going like this to me. So like, I really have to savor this because it's going to be gone soon. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And we're laughing and joking, which is such a nice way to deliver. But it's so deep, actually, what you're saying, yes. which is the, the presence of our lives. So the book is out on the 10th of December. Yeah, in two days. Yeah. I read it. It is fantastic. I loved it. Tell us where else people can do your courses. How can people get a bit of the happy pair into their lives? Well, if you've got the internet, if you just type the happy pair in, you find us on some social media or whatnot. And the book, it's kind of a distillation of having had 50,000 people through the course. And it's going to help people to get more energy, to try to create this more positive lifestyle that will support them. To and we've, and we've distilled all the learnings. So it really is tried to the learnings. And we've got all the bits by the doctors and the dietitians. So it does have the medical and the science aspect. Of it, but it's really down to eating the food. There's 90 delicious plant-based recipes that are easy to make. All the plans are... Eat as much as you want, no calorie counting, no portion control. There is quite a bit of cooking. There is 90 recipes in it. We're really proud of it anyway. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You know, I knew that I was going to love connecting with you, but I've loved it more than I thought. Your energy just <laughs> radiates. So thank you thank for... You, thank you. Come visit when you can. When, oh, when it's all over. There's Please great playgrounds here for the kids. And love to. I would love to. I'd love to. Uh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. So that is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. I hope that you loved it as much as I did. I think if I could take away just one thing from the whole episode, it would be about the power of connection, about the power of smiling more, about the power of being present more and just seeing if we can access however challenging life gets a little bit more joy in the moment. I will see you next week.